You're listening to Don't Waste Water. We want to transport the lithium away from the rest of the impurities that are dissolved in the brine and separate it away. We have several different technologies that address that problem. And we use a combination of adsorbents, solvent extraction, and membranes to do that. And one of our biggest competitive advantages as a company is that we can custom tailor the process depending on the challenges that a brine provides. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Twist Water podcast. These massive evaporation ponds that take about 18 months to yield lithium. They can be 15 square miles in footprint. And most importantly, they only recover about 30 to 40% of the available lithium that enters into the system. For us, there's a lot of inefficiency in all three of those metrics. We want something that takes a lot shorter time than the 18 months. And we want something that can recover hopefully near 100 or at least over 90% of the lithium that enters the system. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, And in today's episode, I'm honored to welcome Teague Egan as my guest. I went over to Dr. Goodenough's office. This was when he was at the ripe age of 96. And he thought that some of my ideas were worth testing. He ended up putting me in touch with one of his last PhD students, a gentleman named Nick Grundish who is now our VP of battery technology and a Forbes 30 under 30 winner. That started EnergyX's pursuit of batteries. Teague is the CEO and founder of EnergyX. The future of DLE is no ponds, but for the people that have already built ponds and spent billions of dollars doing so and are leaving 60 to 70% of the lithium on the table, or in Bolivia's case, essentially 100% of lithium on the table, why not try to capture some of that lost value? EnergyX is on a mission to become a worldwide leader in the global transition to sustainable energy with breakthrough direct lithium extraction and refinery technologies, as well as more effective battery and energy storage solutions. Imagine you're listening to The End, the famous hit of The Doors. You vaguely remember there's something pressing on your to-do list, but hey, who can resist the captivating voice of Jim Morrison, right? 11 minutes 44 passes by and you return to that to-do list. What's on top? Oh, yes, submit that folder for Bolivia's direct lithium extraction tender. But 11 minutes and 44 seconds was 1 minute 44 too long and time is over, you're out. Kind of bitter, right? I obviously romanticized the anecdote. I don't know if Teague is a fan of the doors, yet one part of that story is true. EnergyX got kicked off of Bolivia's DLE tender for submitting 10 minutes late. I wouldn't allow myself to joke about it if Teague wasn't seeing the positives in it. EnergyX leverages 60 patents across the lithium value chain, and they've leveraged Bolivia and Uyuni as a great proof of concept. Their technology suit stands the field test and they are able to produce lithium in a country that maybe boasts the world's largest lithium reserves, but also a quite demanding 25 to 1 magnesium to lithium ratio that defeated many challengers in that race to get Bolivia's white oil off the ground. In today's conversation, you'll get to explore how a direct lithium extraction pure player builds its path to a future EV supply chain vertical, how there may be bumps on the road, but also how exciting it is to move an idea from the lab to a pilot, then a demonstration stage, and down the line, a first commercial reference. 
You'll hear of the Lithium Godfather and Nobel Prize recipients, John Goodenough, which is the second Nobel Prize winner we get to hear in this Lithium series after Barry Sharpless that collaborated with Standard Lithium. You'll understand how an investment fund committed $450 million on Energy X and how Teague won his crown as Shale Magazine named him the Lithium King. It's a packed episode. I had great fun recording it. So remember, if you enjoy the stories and insights Teague shares this week, the only thing I ask in return is that you take that episode, share it with a friend, a colleague, your boss or your team. I thank you in advance for it and I'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Teague. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Antoine. I'm very excited to have you as part of this deep dive we're running on the podcast on lithium topics, because so far I've had the traditional players, I've had the evaporation pond players, I've had some consultants, I've had technology companies, but I didn't have a pure player in that fascinating new field of DLE and beyond, because we'll see that you go beyond just DLE. But before jumping into all of that, I'd like to start with my postcard question. And you're sending me a postcard from Austin. So what can you tell me about Austin that I would ignore by now? I am sending you a postcard from Austin. You know, Texas is a pretty interesting place. Austin is becoming the new Silicon Valley of the United States. You have all these incredible technology companies moving here, such as Google, Facebook, obviously Tesla is moving here. Qualcomm. So, you know, a lot of venture capitalists are moving here. A lot of technology companies are moving here. Austin, just a very exciting spot right now. A lot of good food, a lot of good music, a lot of good culture. I would say that Austin is a blue dot in the Red Sea of Texas. So it's an interesting combination of cultures and a melting pot of different people. So it's a pretty fun place to be. So you mentioned the red aspect. I think that's something which might be a red threat to the story of Energix, because if I'm right, the story of your company starts in a desert. Can you tell me something about that? Yeah, definitely. The idea for Energix originated from a trip that I took to Bolivia, down in the salt deserts, essentially, in the Andean mountain range. And most people don't think of Bolivia as a beautiful place, but this salt flat in Uyuni in Bolivia is the world's largest salt flat. And it is absolutely magnificent. One of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And it turns out that this salt flat is also the world's largest lithium reserve. When I heard that, that inspired me to start Energy X and began looking at ways in which we could more efficiently and cost-effectively extract lithium. You say looking at ways on your website, it's very clearly outlined how you have a 10-year master plan about how you plan to achieve that. Can you take me through those steps? Absolutely. So the master plan that we have on the website is even beyond just lithium extraction. Lithium extraction is the first step to a renewable future. And, you know, as I look at the energy transition, we are in the beginning stages of an energy transition. 
moving away from fossil fuels that are both finite resources, but also have a very significant CO2 impact. Moving away from that is going to take not only a lot of investment, but also a pretty substantial amount of time. And creating the materials to store energy, such as lithium, is, in my mind, the first critical component to that. Then improving upon these energy storage systems, such as batteries, is the second component to that. And all the while, creating better sources of renewable energy generation, and then vertically integrating these components. So that's how I think about our 10-year master plan. I published the master plan at the end of 2019. So we're about three years into it. And you know we've made very significant progress on our lithium extraction technologies. You know we've learned a lot. We're basically pioneering a new way of extracting lithium and producing lithium. There's a lot of breakthrough technology that we've developed. We look at existing technologies and then take components of those different things and then put it all together to create something new, novel, and non-obvious. And we've filed a lot of patents around what we're doing. We have over 60 patents now. We've basically created a paradigm shift in lithium extraction technology from the current way that lithium is produced using these massive evaporation ponds that take about 18 months to yield lithium. They can be 15 square miles in footprint. And most importantly, they only recover about 30 to 40% of the available lithium that enters into the system. For us, there's a lot of inefficiency in all three of those metrics. We want something that is a lot smaller in footprint that doesn't you know, harm the natural environment. We want something that takes a lot shorter time than the 18 months. And we want something that can recover hopefully near 100 or at least over 90% of the lithium that enters the system. So those are the three aspects that we've created technology to improve upon. And we have a lot of smart people here at EnergyX working on that. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Regarding these numbers, if I'm right, you can extract 94%. That's what your pilot plant yielded. Yes. Before jumping into that one, you mentioned breakthrough technologies. I'm just wondering, is that what owned you this envy title, I guess, of Lithium King? <laughs> I'm not mad at that title. It's pretty cool. I guess, I guess I'm the Lithium King. But yeah, I mean, we are 55 people now at EnergyX that each and every day wake up thinking about how to solve problems laser focused on lithium extraction. Each and every day out of the 55 people, about 35, maybe 37 are science related. And of that, I think 25 are PhDs. So, you know, the top education and science that you can get. Figuring out how to solve these problems is what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. So lots of exciting science and experimentation, lots of failures. Uh, it took Thomas Edison 10,000 tries to invent the light bulb and some of his other inventions even more. He was trying to create rubber out of plants when he was working with Firestone and Ford to make tires for cars. And it took him 18,000 different tests to do that one. So over here, we kind of take an Edisonian approach 
and there's people running experiments every single minute to try to figure out the best way to improve upon the existing process or actually create new processes that can solve those three problems that I mentioned before. You mentioned 55 people of which 35 to 37 are scientific people and of which 25 are PhDs. I've seen that you're working with, I don't know if he would appreciate that term, but with the godfather of lithium-ion, because Professor John Goodenough got the Nobel Prize for his work on batteries. And if I'm right, you're working with his laboratory of Texas State University, where if I'm right as well, he's still working. How did you start working with him? And what's your link towards Texas University? So it's University of Texas at Austin, which is where he spent the latter portion of his career as a professor. And John Goodenough turned 100 years old last year in July of 2022. And he's unfortunately not working still to this day, but he was working every day at the university until he was 98, 99 years old. I guess 98, right? Right before COVID. When COVID started, he stopped coming into you know school like everybody who stopped going to work, et cetera. But literally worked every day of his life until 98 years old. Never had kids, was never married. He was 100% dedicated to education, his students, and the spirit of pushing science forward. The way that I came in contact with Dr. Goodenough was EnergyX originally licensed some of our patents from the University of Texas. And we were focused on lithium extraction using membranes, but it turns out that those membranes had a lot of applicability as a component inside batteries. So I went over to Dr. Goodenough's office. This was when he was at the ripe age of 96. And he thought that some of my ideas were worth testing. He ended up putting me in touch with one of his last PhD students, a gentleman named Nick Grundish who is now our VP of battery technology and a Forbes 30 under 30 winner. That started EnergyX's pursuit of batteries. Nick worked with us as a consultant during the first year and a half because he was still finishing his PhD. And Nick ended up leading the charge in getting several of Dr. Goodenough's other students to work on our project. So as Dr. Goodenough has stopped to work at this point, EnergyX has basically assumed several of Dr. Goodenough students. And I think on our battery team, we have four Dr. Goodenough alumni on our team. That's a pretty exciting thing for me. And it's truly an honor to even have the opportunity to talk and receive advice and mentorship from Dr. Goodenough and then be working with his lineage of scientists. You mentioned 60 patents. Out of these 60 patents, if I get what you just said, there's a section of it which is linked to battery themselves. What's the proportion of patents which goes to this extraction of lithium? I don't have the exact numbers, but I would say roughly maybe a fifth of those. So eight to 10 probably are battery-related patents. And then the rest are around our extraction technologies and applications. There's one thing that struck me when I watched your website on your lithium extraction technology is that I don't know if you're playing guitar yourself, but if you portray like a Marshall amp, your Lita's technology looks exactly like a Marshall amp. So it's really in terms of, I mean, the coolness is great there because it looks great. But beyond the coolness, what's inside Lita's? 
<laughs> yeah. Lightus is the name of our portfolio of technologies. It stands for lithium ion transport and separation. We want to transport the lithium away from the rest of the impurities that are dissolved in the brine and separate it away. We have several different technologies that address that problem. And we use a combination of adsorbents, solvent extraction, and membranes to do that. And one of our biggest competitive advantages as a company is that we can custom tailor the process depending on the challenges that a brine provides. So there's no brine that's the same. And the way that I like to communicate this to somebody that doesn't know about this is that there are four main challenges that need to be taken into account when considering the proper technology to use. Brine is in liquid form and the lithium is dissolved into the brine alongside many other salts. Lithium is found in a salt form here. And the four things that need to be taken into account are one, what is the concentration of lithium that's dissolved in the brine? Is there a very little bit or is there a lot? And this is determined using a parts per million metric, right? So is there a hundred parts per million lithium or are there a thousand parts per million lithium? At which concentration would you start looking at it? We start looking at it at around 150 to 200 is the lowest real feasible concentration that you can use direct lithium extraction. So the concentration kind of dictates if you may start with one technology or another. The second is what is the impurity profile? So what other salts are dissolved in this that you need to separate lithium away from? Is there a whole bunch of sodium, which is table salt? That's a relatively easy thing to separate lithium away from. Or is there a bunch of magnesium and sulfate that's dissolved as salt into the brine? Those are much more challenging impurities to separate lithium away from. Is there boron? Is there calcium? There's probably 10 to 15 different elements that can also be dissolved into the brine that plays a factor in which technology is the most efficient. On the second, is there like a no-go? Like if there's something above a certain concentration, you would simply not consider looking into it? Really high levels of magnesium it is bad. We kind of hang our hat on the fact that we can deal with some of the highest levels of magnesium, such as in Bolivia. It's all about the ratio of these other dissolved salts as compared to lithium. In Chile, they typically see one lithium for every four to six magnesium. And that's a ratio that they've had a lot of success with producing the most lithium from brine-based resources. In Bolivia, they have 25 magnesium to every one lithium. Wow. And for that reason, they have had zero success in producing lithium. <laughs> So when we ran our systems in Bolivia, that was the main challenge that we overcame and we hit that 94% recovery rate. So that was a huge accomplishment for us as a company. The third challenge that needs to be considered is the temperature of the brine. In most of South America, you're just dealing with ambient temperature brine. You pump it up and it's relatively near the surface, maybe a few hundred meters, something like that. In California, in the Salton Sea, they have a tremendous amount of lithium, but it spawns from geothermal brine. So 4,000 or a few thousand meters deep. This comes out at over 300 degrees Celsius. So putting that through a system, you need to be able to deal with that high temperature. And specific technologies don't do well with temperature, some do. So that plays into consideration. 
The fourth is not necessarily a characteristic of the brine itself, but a characteristic of the region and the available inputs that you have for your technology. Water is one, the availability of fresh water, which, you know, there's a decent availability of fresh water in California or, you know, Arkansas, but there's very limited availability of fresh water in the high Andean mountain range in the Lithium Triangle in South America. So if your technology needs 100 tons of fresh water input for every ton of lithium, that's a real challenge and maybe a no-go. What would be your ratio? If I'm right, that's one of your assets. It depends on which technology we use. And that's one of our biggest competitive advantages is that both our membrane technology and our solvent extraction technology don't need fresh water as an input. Adsorption technology needs fresh water, but we've come up with ways to reduce the fresh water to like one fifth of what other adsorption-based technologies require. You mentioned your pilots. I'd like to understand exactly the context of that pilot. We piloted with YLB, which is the state-run Bolivian lithium company. Well, that's the pilot where you were 10 minutes late to submit the results. Yep. <laughs> What's the story? I mean, it pretty much is what it is. You know, I learned a valuable lesson. It's unfortunate that they, you know, used that as the reason to disqualify us from the tender. But I think that everything happens for a reason. And I think that it would have been extremely hard to compete with CATL, who eventually won the tender. We might have wasted an, another whole year of time and resources pursuing that when CATL might have been a lock from the beginning. Who knows, right? Like, there are obviously other geopolitical factors that played into that. I think that Bolivia has closer relations with China than the US to begin with. So who knows, right? I, I still think that there actually is a chance that we could work with Bolivia in the future because we have the best technology to complement existing pond infrastructure, where I think that what they're expecting out of CATL is direct lithium extraction straight from the wells. And they've already spent a ton of money on those ponds. So if they can figure out how to capture some of that value, EnergyX could be helpful there. But I turned in the report 10 minutes late and I could, you know, sit here and give you every excuse on why it happened. But ultimately, it was my responsibility to turn it in on time. So <laughs> that's all there is to that. I think we could make another podcast on the Bolivian case, which is the biggest reserve of lithium in the world, doesn't produce a gram today. But that's really too much of a topic to dive into. What I'd like to understand is that there are two approaches to DLE. What you just said about CATL would be like you take Rudy Brian and you do DLE straight off the bat. And maybe that's how DLE will be in the future. But there's maybe a step in between, which is to combine DLE with evaporation ponds. And again, if I understood right, what you're aiming at within your roadmap, that is one of the first steps which comes within the next two years. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the future of DLE is no ponds. But for the people that have already built ponds and spent billions of dollars doing so and are leaving 60 to 70% of the lithium on the table, or in Bolivia's case, essentially 100% of lithium on the table, why not try to capture some of that lost value? And going back to our portfolio of technologies, you know, we can obviously do direct from Wellhead, Greenfield, DLE, but we're the first ones to think about how we can complement existing pond infrastructure and insert some of our separation technologies at a point in the pond process just before they start to see those huge losses 
and capture some of that and increase the output from existing pond infrastructure. We filed patents around all of that because nobody else is doing that or had thought of that. I think that would be a huge win for a small number of companies. Like there's only, call it five to seven companies that have built extensive pond infrastructure. You have SQM, Albemarle, Alchem, Livent, Lithium Americas, and YLB. But those are the major players right now. And if you can double or triple their output from the existing ponds with the same amount of brine that enters the pond system, that's a huge economic windfall for those companies. Economic windfall plus also possibly eliminating one of the bottlenecks, which might be the water. Yeah. I just noted some of the big names I saw in your corporate deck. So there was Allchem and there was Suez, who I'd like to understand, and then I have a third one. So what's what you're working on with Allchem and Suez? So those were earlier partnerships in our development. We did testing for Allchem about two years ago, and we had great results, but they are still trying to figure out which DLE technology they want to move forward with. As for Suez, we had a term sheet with them to help us figure out some of the initial phases of our membrane extraction process. And they were extremely helpful in thinking through some of the early designs for our electrodialysis and bipolar electrodialysis. That's complicated for our membrane processing units, but we're no longer working with them. We've basically taken everything in-house. Both those companies were instrumental to the beginnings of EnergyX and, you know, I'm eternally grateful, but we've kind of gone out on our own and are figuring out relationships with other customers outside of Allchem and our own in-house manufacturing of membranes and the ancillary equipment that holds membranes for processing. So there's a third big name in that corporate deck, which is maybe more catered towards your future, which is Global Emerging Markets Group. And there's a very big number associated to that name, which is $450 million that they committed. What's the deal there? And what does it enable you to do? Yeah, Global Emerging Markets is a great company that helps companies like ours that are operating in emerging markets, gives us access to capital upon a public listing. This was actually the biggest deal that Global Emerging Markets has ever done. I think that rightfully so, and that we're in the you know one of the hottest sectors in lithium as one of the biggest emerging markets. We're operating in countries like Bolivia, Argentina, Chile, that are also emerging markets. So it really fit their thesis very nicely. And they basically came to us and said, look, if you guys go public, we will commit $450 million after you're publicly listed. So that was a huge vote of confidence for us. And we obviously want to go public at the right time. But you know, having that kind of backstop and commitment gives me some comfort and confidence when I go to bed at night. When you say right time, do you already have some ideas which you could share? Not specifically. Right now, we are in the phase of moving from the pilot that we launched in the field to larger demonstration plants. So the pilot that we did was a relatively small pilot. They could only process a couple tons of lithium per year, and that's not quite big enough to move to a full commercial plant that could say process 10, 20, 50,000 tons. So these next larger demonstration plants that we're building can process 100 tons of lithium per year. And from all the customers that we've talked to that we're continuing to test and scale up with, 100 tons capacity is the right size that would enable us 
to go straight to full commercialization from that point. You say one ton, that's lithium hydroxide? Yeah, lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate, either one. Sorry, did want to cut you up, just to be clear. We want to have at least crossed this demonstration plant threshold and be on our way to building a few large commercial production plants before we go public. That's at least my mindset right now. Your timeline to commercial plants, if I'm right, is for 2024, 2025. Yep. You say a couple or a bunch or several of them. If you had to take a totally open bet, which is not binding in any kind of ways, where would you see the first commercial plant? Oh, man. I don't know. You know, I think that there are some great opportunities that are on our plate right now. I think that it'll be between one of three places, either Argentina, Chile, or the United States. One of your demo in between is going to be at the Salton Sea, right? Yeah, we're in the process of building a demonstration plant for the Salton Sea right now. So one of those or another, who knows, opportunities can come up. Actually, I try to be cautious of your time. I see that you have a broad roadmap for the future, which means to me that there would be more opportunities to have that conversation again when you have new milestones to share. I have a last question for you in that deep dive, which is actually for my investigation of lithium, I've made a testing of the water, which is 10 kilometers from my home. And we used to have potash mines. It's a historic thing. And there's water there with high lithium content, pretty high. How high? 4,000 ppm. Oh, wow. I suspect that was an outlier. I would expect the average to be around 400 ppm. So let's assume 400 ppm. I looked a bit, magnesium, there is some magnesium. There's less than at the Salton Sea, but there is. I mean, I looked a bit at scavengers. My question here is, I obviously don't have a company. I don't intend to start a company. But in the hypothesis, I would have this ambition. I don't know if you've seen, but recently India just found out that they have a bunch of lithium and that maybe they are the fifth largest reserve in the world and nobody knew. So you have these greenfield projects. What is the approach to them? Would they call the company like you? Would they start their own thing? How do you fit into that ecosystem? They would most likely start working with a company like ours who specializes in the extraction and refinery of lithium. Unless they wanted to go figure out how to do it all themselves, which is most likely you know, not the case. They would either license technology or get a company to come in and build, own, and operate a plant And then there would be some sort of licensing deal or profit sharing deal on the lithium that's produced between the company that's extracting it and refining it and getting the product and whoever owns the resource. So the day I create my potash company, I give you a call and we can see how we figure that out. Maybe that's your first commercial plan. You don't know. (laughs) know. (laughs) To round up this interview, I have rapid fire questions. I'll take just three of them. It's time for the rapid fire questions. What is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? The most exciting project I've been working on is scaling the technology for the demonstration plants. Working on stuff in the lab is exciting in its own way, but then seeing these systems come to life in big equipment and machinery that actually gets deployed to the field is you know, just a next level of exciting. So, you know, we're right in the middle of scaling these systems to like large tanks and large mixers and large 
vats and things like that that we're deploying to the field and that that to me is pretty cool can you name one thing that you learned the hard way yeah don't be late turning in reports <laughs> i would expect that one and last one would you have someone to recommend me that i should definitely talk with yeah i think that you should talk with our vp of battery technology nick grundish he's he knows obviously way more than me about batteries so if you're interested in batteries i would talk to him if you're interested in talking more about lithium extraction as related to this story i would say that somebody i would talk to is our president of south america a gentleman named juan carlos barrera he spent 30 years at sqm half of which he was their senior vice president of lithium operations he literally built their entire evaporation pond system 44 million square meters of evaporation ponds as well as all, all of their lithium processing facilities to get to lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide. So for batteries, our guy Nick, and for lithium, our guy Juan Carlos. It sounds like you really have the Avengers team working with you on all those topics. So impressive. Well, Tig, it's been a pleasure to do a bit of that exploration with you. I'd be delighted to have you back or to have the two suggestions you had on the microphone to explore a bit further up and down the, the value stream. And... Uh, yeah, I wish you all the best in the next demo and commercial plan because one of those we will be doing together. Just that you know. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, exactly. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.